Well, uh, good morning. It is a super Sunday. I think every day is a super Sunday for us, right? Because of, uh, <laughs> we have reason to celebrate. Every time we gather, it's a super Sunday. Praise God for that. Uh, we are now, uh, in the midst of all of the things going on in the life of our church, it might have been lost on you that we're eight weeks away from Easter. Do you know that? Easter is in eight weeks. That's crazy. That's coming up super fast. Um, there's a guy named Troy Grambling. He said, if uh, people who don't go to church... He, he did this study, and I think it was in Miami or somewhere else. He said, four out of five people who don't go to church would go on Easter Sunday if somebody invited them to come. Isn't that crazy? So is there someone in your life that you feel like, ah, I think they, I would really love to bring them uh, to Resurrection Sunday worship service. As you think about that and you pray about that, let me ask a quick question. What is it that keeps you from sharing the hope of Christ with other people? What is it that keeps you from taking the hope that you have in Jesus and giving that to others? Today, what I want to do is I want to help us to realize actually a lot simpler than we might think. Uh, we're at the conclusion of this series called One Thing, and our brother Eugene said, uh, we've been talking for four weeks about different passages where it says, one thing, dot, 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 one thing I know, one thing I do, one thing, um, and all of these one things are actually the same thing. Today, I want to talk about the one thing, the one word that's spoken in Scripture where it says one thing that helps us to know that we've got the one thing. Uh, but first, a little bit of self-disclosure. I talked about how <clears throat> I went to a new school when I started sixth grade last year. That was last year of elementary school. So as I uh, was in sixth grade, uh, I didn't always get good grades. But when I did, they were in math, predictably, <laughs> and spelling. I was really good at math. I was really good at spelling. And so I would uh, win our class spelling bees, and I would always get 100% on my spelling contest. I was so cool, and everybody thought I was a great speller. So what that meant was that I got to represent my class in the Dogwood Elementary spelling bee. Yes! This was awesome. I was so excited. I got this study guide, this packet, this booklet of books, and I would read through it, and I would memorize all the words, preposterous, P-R-E-P-O-S-T-E-R-O-U-S, preposterous, yeah, anemic, A-N-E-M-I-C, anemic, yeah, and I was like killing it, so this was great. If I won the, the, the school spelling bee, what happened is I would move on to the regional spelling bee, and if I won the regional spelling bee, I would go to the state spelling bee, and if I won the state spelling bee, then you know what happens. You go on ESPN, where they have the Scripps National Spelling Bee. Yeah. Like, I would always get so upset. Like, why on a sports station is a spelling bee on? But that was like my dream. My only way of getting onto ESPN was through the spelling bee, and so I was really excited. So Dogwood Elementary studied up. I'm all ready to go. In the cafeteria, the whole school is there. And all of my classmates were cheering for me. They're like, yeah, David, you're going to win. You're awesome. Even the kids that, like, beat me up, I talked about last week, they were cheering for me. It was like this very emotional and redemptive experience for me. They're cheering, yeah, you can do it. So I got through the first three rounds, and I, I smoked it. I was, like, so fast in my words. And, and then the, there's, like, five of us left. I was feeling pretty confident about myself. I stood up there, plot thickened getting nervous, palms were sweaty, all this sweat coming down. And the person who calls out the word said this word, and to this day, I don't remember what the word was. I looked at him, I was like, what? That one on the book? I didn't say that. I said, I said could you please repeat that word? <laughs> and he repeated the word, and I was like, could you please use that word in a sentence? And I still didn't know what it was. So I said, could I get a word origin for that word, please? I still didn't know what it was. So I said, could you please repeat the word? 
And I said the word, and I tried to get it, and I was wrong. Oh, my gosh, all of my dreams faded in that one moment. I was like, what happened? What happened? I was so upset because I knew all of these words, but the one word that I needed to know, I didn't know, and it cost me everything. It was so sad. Like, that was my close, closest I'd ever get to being on ESPN, and, and all of my dreams were dashed that day. I realized something that we've been learning over the past four weeks. You could know everything, but if you don't know one thing, that one thing you don't know could sink everything. Today, I want to tell you the one thing you need to know. You want to share the hope of Christ with somebody? doesn't matter if you know all of these other things. You just need to know one thing. John chapter 9, we're just going to read one verse here for the sake of time, but I'm going to kind of get us up to speed as I tell the true story of this blind man. He tells you and me how we can know, right, the one way, the one thing we need to know in order that we can know that we've got the one thing that all four weeks leading up to this have been telling us about. How do you know that you have a relationship with Jesus what do you need to know in order for you to begin to bring the hope of Christ to people who need it? Uh, the true story of a blind man who was healed by Jesus. This is the one thing. John chapter 9, verse 25. This blind man, he replied, whether he, Jesus, is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. This is God's word. This is awesome. One thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. So this man's true story is found in John chapter 9. Jesus encounters this man who's been blind for a long, long time. People start debating over it. Jesus says, hey, I'm going to make some mud. He spits on the ground. He puts some dirt, mixes it with the spit, makes mud, puts it on this guy's eyes, right? This is crazy. <laughs> Don't try this at home with your little brother. He does and puts spit on his eyes, says, go wash and come back. So as he washes in the pool of Siloam, he comes back and he's able to see. This is crazy stuff, right? So he's able to see. He was blind, but now he's, he's got sight. And all of a sudden, the Pharisees, there's this religious group of people, they start investigating and they start questioning because they don't like Jesus. In fact, the plot has already been uh, started to wind where they would try to get Jesus killed. And so the reason they get so upset is because this happened on the Sabbath. And to the Pharisees, if you're a good, law-abiding Jewish person, then the most important thing you've got to do is you've got to abide by the Sabbath laws. Okay, the one way, because the Jewish people were under Roman occupation, the way that you knew that you were a loyal Jew is you didn't do what everybody else did on the Sabbath. You actually refrained from work and worshiped God on the Sabbath because that's what good Jewish people did. I had rules like this growing up. My parents told me in the, the, the church that I went to in Virginia they said on Sunday, there are certain things you can't do because this is what Christians don't do. They were wrong, by the way, but this is what they said. You can't chew gum on Sunday. I was like, all right. You can't wear jeans on Sunday, right? Some of you are wearing gum, uh, wearing gum, chewing gum. Oh, if you wore gum, you'd be kicked out in a hurry in my church, man. Wearing jeans, chewing gum. You can't go to 7-Eleven. There's 7-Eleven right across the street from our church. You couldn't go to 7-Eleven. You couldn't play video games. All these things because that marked whether you were in or out. And so the Pharisees, it was the same thing. Hey, if you don't practice the Sabbath, you don't honor the Sabbath, then you're a traitor to the Jewish faith and you are in cahoots with Rome. And so the day that Jesus heals this cat was on the Sabbath, right? And they're upset. 
because they think, you know what? Hey, you made mud, right? To make mud, that's considered work. And to heal somebody, that's considered work. Jesus, you are against us. Therefore, we're going to try to sentence you. We're going to catch you in your words, and we're going to accuse you of doing wrong. Jesus, on the other hand, is thinking, I know what, you're, what the views of Sabbath are. But here's his understanding. Jesus' understanding is a Sabbath, the rest we have is a foreshadowing of that great day when we will rest from all of our work, all of our labors, all of our pain, and we'll be in that place of not only rest but restoration forever. In Jesus' mind, there's no better day to foretell what's going to happen on that great and glorious day, no better day to heal than on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees are upset, and Jesus uh, engages this man in conversation. The Pharisees engage this man in conversation, And he says at the end of it all, this glorious, glorious statement, I don't know, but one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. What does it take for you to bring the hope of Christ to somebody? This guy tells us everything that we need to know, at least to start. Okay, three thoughts. First thing, if you want to sing, if you want to sing, you need a song to sing. If you want to sing, you need a song to sing. Uh, I don't know if you guys like doing karaoke. My wife, Olivia, is a karaoke master. She's really good. Right? She's got enough karaoke talent in her for our entire marriage. And so when she goes, she always sings this one song by Mary J. Blige. It's called No More Drama, right? That's her groove. I've never heard the song, but she sings it, and she, she loves it. We have a couple sisters in our church that Olive was telling you about. When they go, they always sing the same old Korean song by this group. I think it's called Big Bang. It's called Fantastic Baby, right? They always sing that song. That's their groove. When I go sing karaoke, well, when I go to karaoke, if there's ever a karaoke machine around, I won't sing because I don't have a song to sing. If you want to sing, you got to have a song to sing. And this cat, when he says, I was blind, but now I see, this is the foundation for probably the greatest Christian hymn ever written. 11,000 professional artists have recorded the song. You know the song, right? I once, I was blind, but now I see. Amazing Grace, right? 11,000 people have recorded that. Everyone from Johnny Cash to Elvis Presley Aretha Franklin, like you could go on and on and on and on and on about all the people that have sung that song. It's the most popular hymn over the past 200 years, most, uh, most sung hymn in all of the world. And it comes from this man's confession. I once was blind, but now I see. There's a ministry to prisoner, prison inmates called Prison Fellowship. It was started by a man named Chuck Colson. And he says, everywhere he goes... In every prison he enters throughout the world, he would preach a sermon at chapel, and he would end the chapel service by having the inmates stand in a circle and hold hands, and he says, every one of these people will sing by heart with their eyes closed, amazing grace. He said, this is the prisoner's song, because they understand. Why? Are there 11,000 recording artists who literally had the inability to see, but all of a sudden, someone allowed them, gave them the gift of sight so they could see it. There are 11,000 people who, say, who are like that. No, there's not. The, the, the fraction of people who cannot see in this world are a fraction of a percent. But why is it that every, so many, well, not everybody, but so many people the world over knows this song because he's talking about a spiritual blindness. 
that I once was blind to the beauty of Jesus and to the grace of God and the things of God, but now he opened my eyes so that I can see and I can worship him. And because of that, I'm not who I once was. I was blind, but now I see. And the question that I bring to you this morning is, is this your song? Can you say what the blind man said, that you once were blind, but now you see? Once you were completely oblivious to the things of God, but now you see and you care and you have a passion for the things of God. Is that your story? This song was written by a man named John Newton. Hundreds of years ago, he was famous as a slave trader. His dad was a sailor, and you know the kind of the, the, the caricature of sailing people, right? They curse like a sailor. They're not known to be the most godly, upstanding, moral people in the world. In fact, uh, they're dirty, they're reckless, they're unclean. But even amongst that group of sailors that John Newton hung with, he was in a class of his own. They said he could not get along with any of his sailors. His mom died when he was six. She would pray for him. She prayed for him to come to know Jesus. She prayed that he'd actually be a minister. She taught the word of God. She taught him hymns. But he rebelled against that. She died at six. He uh, followed his father onto the sailing boats, onto the ships, enlisted into the British Navy, but he got kicked out. They said, he's an animal. He's drunk. He's reckless. Can't get along with anybody. They kicked him out, and they eventually sold him. He became a servant to slaves before he was rescued by his dad. And on this rescue ship, going back to his home in Great Britain, this massive storm threatened to destroy everything on board. They threw everything overboard. And for four weeks, they lived in the abject fear that they would die of starvation on the high seas. And it was during those four weeks that he began to think about his life. And he began to realize, man, I'm a bad man. And if I die, I'm going to spend my life in a bad place. And so in that place, he began thinking about all of the things that his mom taught him up until the time he was six. So if you've got a six-year-old kid or younger, like all of that stuff matters. They're never too young to begin investing into their spiritual lives. Six years old, he remembered, he started thinking about the songs, he started thinking about the scripture that he read, and he thought four things. One, as I now stand, I am an awful sinner. Two, I deserve eternal condemnation in hell. Three, Jesus Christ died for me. And four, I need to choose if I'm going to follow him or not. And he said in that moment, that was his conversion experience. He became a prolific slave trader even after right, he, he was starting to think about God. But after a couple trips, he began to realize his eyes were open to see the plight of slavery. And he wrote this amazing, powerful treatise um, against slavery. He gave up all of his slave lifestyle. In fact, he and a man named William Wilberforce were influential in causing the abolition of slavery before the British Parliament of the North African slave trade. Right, that's who he was. That's who he was. He was a reckless, irreligious, alcoholic, couldn't get along with anybody, slave trader making profit off of slaves. And then he goes and he becomes one of the chief abolitioners to set these people free. That's the transformation in his life. And he said, I once was blind, but now I see. And at the end of his life, he could even at the end of his life, he could never get over the fact that Jesus loved him and saved him, even in the midst of his filth and sin and dirtiness. And at the end of his life, he said, my memory is now gone. I cannot remember much, but two things I remember, that I am a great sinner and that Jesus Christ is a great Savior. 
said, my memory is going, but this one thing I know, that there is bad news and there is good news to be found in Jesus. It's the same thing this blind man was saying. He said, I don't know a lot of things, but one thing I know, here's the bad news. I was blind. Here's the good news because of Jesus, but now I see. And the question, if you want to bring hope to others, is do you have this story in your life? Were you once blind, but now you see? Is that your testimony? Is that your story? Because if you want to sing a song, there's got to be a song to sing. And what a lot of people are, he does not say, I once was blind, but now I go to church. Or I once was blind, but now I call myself a Christian. He says, I once was blind, but now I see. The blinders are gone. The scales have fallen off, and I can see Jesus. My life has been changed. And that's what causes people to say, well, it wouldn't make any sense if he went to all of his blind friends. He's got a a colony of blind friends, and he's like, hey, guys, I once was blind, but now, look, I see. And then all of these people hear that song, and they're like, hey, okay, cool. And they, these blind people all start saying the same thing. Even though they're still blind, for them to say, hey, I once was blind, but now I see. You'd look at them and say, no, you don't. You're still blind. You're still bumping into things. You're still running into things. You're still begging for food because you can't get a job. You're still blind. It doesn't make sense for people to sing a song of things they haven't seen. And what a lot of people are doing is we're singing somebody else's song. Because we don't have sight, we're still blind. You want to sing the song, you need to have a song to sing. Nobody's drawn to a person who has no transformation in their lives, right? So I love seeing these pictures of people who've been changed, like whether it be a diet, like before and after, and like, oh my gosh, that's like a crazy transformation in them. Or like skincare, got jacked up skin, and, and they use this product, and now they got beautiful skin. I love seeing these before and after because that, that transformation itself is powerful. But if you see somebody, look, I went on this amazing diet, and look at me, I was 200 pounds before, and I'm 199 pounds after. Doesn't make me say, oh my gosh, I got to run to the store and pay 100 bucks to get that. Say, There's nothing different about that person. He was blind, and now he's still blind. People were drawn to this guy's story because he was blind, but now he sees. Imagine this. How many, how many people would follow us if we sang, I once was blind, but now I'm still blind. Like, that doesn't give hope to anybody. But that's what a lot of us are. We're blind. We come to church, but we're just blind church-going people. Do you have a story a testimony of God's glory, of his grace, of his transformation in your life. Because if you want to sing the song, then you've got to have a song to sing. That's the first thing that we see. Second thing, you may not have all the answers, but if you've got a song, start singing it today. You might not have all the answers, But if you've got a story of how you were once blind, but now you see, you need to start singing that song today. There's people that need to hear that song. This guy, as soon as he gets gets healed of his blindness, he goes forth and people start asking him questions. And his confession is, man, there's this guy. There's this guy. I don't know where he went now, but this is what I know. And I was blind, but now I see. If if, If you were blind, and you met somebody, and you left that encounter being able to see. Like, wouldn't you run and tell everybody? Like, dude, look at me. Look at me. 
Like, I used to not know what you look like. I, this is the first time I see, but this is crazy. Like, I can see you. Like, I can see you. I can see the love in your eyes. I, I can see you. This is crazy stuff. For the first time, he's healed. His blinders have been removed, and he can see the face of his mother. The one who gave birth to him, the one who nursed him, the one who gave him life, he can see. And if that's his story, wouldn't he want to go and tell everybody, man, this is who I used to be, but I'm not the same anymore. I'm different. There's a woman, a Samaritan woman at a well who was adulterous and promiscuous, but as soon as she encounters Jesus and finds satisfaction in him, she went and she told everybody so that there was a revival in that village in Samaria. When lepers are healed, when blind people are healed, when people who are dead come to life, they go and they tell everybody because this is what happens. They don't need to have all of the answers. In fact, in, in, in verse 9, uh, isn't this the same one who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Like, it's me. Like, it's me. It's me. Blind, you know, Jake or whatever his name is, it's me. Like, look at me. It's, I can see now. And then from there, they begin asking him all these questions, right? Um, verse 12, where is the man? Verse 15, they asked him, how did he do it? Uh, verse 16, how can a sinner do these things? Asking him all of these questions, and, and then it says in verse 25, we know this man is a sinner. In verse 25, he says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Do you see what's going on here? They're saying, tell us about what happened. Tell us who he is. Tell us what you believe. Who is he? How did it happen? How did he do it? It breaks the laws of anything, uh, of any medical miracle. How did it happen? He's like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know any of these answers. But one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. Guys, you don't need to have all of the answers. Because a person with an argument is always at the mercy of a person with an experience with God, what Leonard Ravenhill said. You can argue with a preacher in what I say, but you cannot argue with a person's testimony of God. They, they, they ask him all of these questions. He's like, I don't know. And some of us feel like we cannot start telling the story until I go to missions training, until I go to that evangelism seminar. I can't help anyone. I'll just, I'll just get my pastor or I'll get my smart friend or I'll go to that, uh, I got to read this book first. No, he's saying none of that stuff. People say, hey, hey, so what do you believe? What's your view of apologetics? Are you presuppositional or are you evidential? I don't know. What about baptism? What's your church do? Credo-baptism or pedo-baptism? I don't know. What's your view of the ordo salutis? Conversion, justification, which comes first? Regeneration? I don't know any of that stuff. What about your views on the eschaton and the eschatology, the apocalypse? Are you premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial? What are you? The order of salvation. What about God's decrees? Infralepsy and superlepsy. No, he's like, I don't know any of that stuff. But here's what I know. Here's what I know, that I once was blind, but now I see. And a person with an argument is always at the mercy of a person with an experience. That's why every Sunday, when we're not doing communion or baptism, we have testimonies every week, people testifying to what God is doing. Our sister Michelle came up here last week, Michelle Shin, and she said, I feel like I'm always up here. That's the way it should be. If God is always at work in our lives, we should always be up here testifying, because if you got a song to sing, then I guarantee you there's somebody that needs to hear that song sung from your lips and from your heart. 
You don't need to wait. Oh, my gosh, I got to get all my ducks in order. I got I to make sure that this sounds perfect. No, you don't. All you need to do is have this understanding that I once was blind, but now I see because of Jesus. That's all it takes. You don't need all the answers. But this guy goes, and he starts singing that song. The last thing that we see, okay, you got to sing your song. But the song, right, your song was meant to be sung for the glory of God. Right? Your song was meant to be sung for the glory of God. I don't know if that's, you guys are looking at me like I'm crazy. Maybe that's not what it says in there. But uh, the glory of God is the reason why your song is meant to be sung. The beginning of this whole thing, uh, the disciples said, hey, uh, verse 2, Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Because in their understanding, somebody had to have sinned in order for this to be his awful lot in life. How much prenatal sin had he needed to have been committed for him to be born blind? Like, what did he do? What did his mom do? What did his dad do? And Jesus looks at me and says, neither. It's not, obviously, somebody sinned, but he's like, that's not the issue. He said, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. He's saying, you guys are concerned about why she's like this, or how she got like that, or why she's got a child out of wedlock, or why he's like this, or why he's, he's why this, he's, Jesus is like, I don't care about those things. Those are not the things that matter. What matters is, it's not the past, but it's the present, that this happened, and that God has a powerful, good, wise purpose for what he's going to do through this situation. Yeah, the reality is what the reality is, but God's saying, I'm not going to let it remain in that place. This happened so that the work of God might be demonstrated in this person's life. Can you think about this? This blind guy, the worst thing about his life, the most painful thing about his life, the hardest thing about his life, the most shameful thing about his life, the thing that outcasted him amongst everybody else was his inability to see. But it was that very thing that God redeemed and turned it into a story for the glory of God. The things that you are most afraid to let people know about. The things that you are most ashamed about. The things that you feel are the biggest pain in your life. Are usually the canvas upon which God, the sheet of paper upon which God, the great composer, writes his greatest verses in the song of your life. Oftentimes, it was a Samaritan woman again. He told me about everything that I had ever done, and all of that was shameful. But she boasts about it because, hey, that's not me anymore. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was promiscuous, but now I pursue chastity. I once was careless, but now I care. I once was apathetic, but now I'm passionate about the things of God. I once was a slave trader, but now I go and I set the captives free. It's the greatest pain in our lives that God pinpoints and uses and highlights to create the greatest verses in the song of your life. Here's why. Because it's not about you, my friends, and it's not about me. This is about God and his glory. And his glory is most powerfully highlighted through the transformation that he brings about in our lives. And we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be ashamed because that does not define us anymore. Our failures are not final. Our failures are not fatal. God always redeems. He restores. And when he prepares, 
he repairs in order that his story might go forth to the praise of his name. A lot of us, a lot of us would live life a lot better as soon as we begin to understand that it's not about you. See, this life is not about your comfort, and it's not about your greatest dreams, and it's not about you having all of your, your wildest imaginations come true. It's not about you. I tell that to my kids all the time. They're, they're, we're sitting at, at, at their, uh, their sibling's school, doing a presentation, singing a song, and the kids are like, I'm bored. Like, doesn't matter. All these people are bored. I'm bored to death, too. This is boring stuff, but it ain't about you. It's not about you. We're in worship service. I'm bored. That's fine. Get over it because it's not about you. This is about God and it's about his glory. And all of our lives are about the glory of God. And all of our lives are a blank sheet of paper. And God uses the joyful notes and he uses the minor keys in order to paint a beautiful, to write, compose a beautiful song because he's the author. And praise and glory will not go to that sheet of paper upon which Beethoven's Ninth Symphony was originally written. Oh, my gosh, that's beautiful parchment. Nobody says that. Oh, my gosh, if I could just find the pen that Beethoven used to write that song. Nobody cares about that. They give praise not to the canvas or the sheet of paper or the pen. They give praise to the composer and to the author. It's not about us. It's about God. And it's about how he uses the greatest hardship and pain, and suffering, and challenge in your life and in mine to write the greatest verses of that song through you and me. Some of us think, I don't have a great story. Hey, it doesn't matter. If you've got a song, you sing that out. I'm so embarrassed. I'm so scared. I'm not good at public speaking. It's all good because it's not about you. I just remember, I stand up here for the glory of God. If I can testify, I can testify. I can testify. That's all, that, that's all I can do. That's my job. God will do with it what he will. And he'll take that broken chopstick song, and he'll create a beautiful counter melody to make it into something beautiful. That's God's job. That's not ours. Ours is to let God be him and to realize it's not about us. Who sinned? that this would be his lot in life. Why so much pain? Whose sin was it? There's no greater story, no greater pain, no greater sin than the one that caused our Savior to go to the cross. Who sinned that he would die like this? But you remember that it's always the greatest pain that leads to the greatest songs. And the pain wasn't simply our blindness. It wasn't our death. It was the ultimate the passion, the suffering of our Christ, our Savior, our Messiah, our Jesus. Whose sin was it? It was our sin. It was our sin, our pain placed upon him, our shame. We feel like, oh my gosh, they're staring at me. Jesus was stripped naked so that our shame would be done away with, covered by robes of righteousness. Those things don't define us anymore. That's not who we are. It's not who we are. And any time you share about your deepest pain, I promise you that that pain will resonate with at least one person who hears your song. Because the thing in your life that is most deeply personal is the thing in your life that's most deeply universal. People will resonate and they will connect with those emotions. There are people who are waiting for your song to be sung. If you've got a song, 
don't wait till tomorrow. I want there to be people lining up. Hey, you know what? Can I share my testimony? I want to share my story. doesn't have to be after a class, after a mission trip, when you get baptized. Anytime God is doing something in your life, you go and you tell that story. You sing that song because it gives honor and glory to God. I want to show you a clip of what happens. And I hesitated because I, I, I don't do this much. But I want to show you a, a clip in a second of what happens when we sing our song. This, uh, this clip comes from, uh, there's a movie called The Greatest Showman starring Hugh Jackman, who's an actor. He's a, uh, he was a Broadway singer, and he's clearly the headliner of this movie. But there is this point before it, actually, you know, movies, before they get, they get uh, funded and green, lit, green light, uh, you got the green light to go, and uh, you have to pitch it before producers, before studios, before financiers who give you the money in order to make this project. And so they had this meeting in New York City that took about eight months to coordinate everybody's schedule. Right? So people of Fox, all of the extras, all of the singers, all the Broadway folks, and they gathered. The week before, right, Hugh Jackman's doctor said to him, you've got this skin cancer that needs to be taken out, and we're going to do the surgery on this day. And he looked at the day, and he realized it's the day that I have to, before I have to leave for New York for this audition. He said, can I, can I do it after I come back? And they said, no, you can't. Be, this is cancer. You have to take it out. And so uh, he told the director, and the director's like, you cannot tell anybody because nobody's going to show up. It took us all this time to plan, prepare, find this one date. But if the lead is not going to come, no one else is going to show up. So you cannot tell them. So he said, okay. They took the cancer out, 80 stitches in his nose. Doctor said, there's no way that you can sing. It will, it will pop. It will bleed. There's no way. So he gets to New York, and he says, guys, I just had cancer removed. Um, I can't sing. Everybody's bummed. But in order to, to, to sell this to the people, I'll stand in, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll just kind of move along with it, I'll, I'll, I'll do the motions, I'll act it out, the rest of the people will sing. There's a, a, an, another guy who would sing his parts for him. And throughout the entire movie sequence, throughout every song, that's what he did, he stood there, till it got to the last song. And this is uh, the clip that we'll see.
crazy? Like, that's what happens when all those people are waiting for him to sing his song, right? That was his song. Somebody else had been singing it, and they were waiting, and the director said, man, when that happened, like, everything broke in that room. Like, everything changed. There was euphoria. You could see it in people, right? They're singing, and then all of a sudden, it's like something snaps, and they realize, and all of this would have been a non-story had it not started with the pain. And you can see him wiping the blood off of his nose, and none of this would have happened and even been a song, a story, had he not sung his song. There are people, guys, who are waiting for you to sing your song. You have no idea how your song can inspire people to see Jesus. You have no idea. Your song could be the last straw that breaks the back of the camel to come to know Jesus. Your song could be the last thing. I've heard it from so many other people. I've been denying it, but they hear it from you, and they say, oh, I, I, I need him. I need him. I need him. Is that people were jumping on sofas, jumping on chairs, like everything was different. Because he decided to sing that song. You got a song to sing, then sing it because it's a song for his glory. Let's pray. My friends, the first question I want to ask is Do you have a song? Have you encountered Jesus in such a way that you once were blind, but now you see? When you, when you hold up pictures of past you and present you, is there a difference that Jesus Christ has made in your life? If there's not, then hey, today, right, today Jesus wants to do that in your life. He didn't say, I once was blind, but now I go to church. I once was blind, but now I'm good. He said, I once was blind, but now I see. And that's the work of God in his spirit, to open our eyes to see. And once we do... We need, to, we need to grasp a hold of the hand that reaches out to us. But for others of us, you have that song. The question is, what keeps you from singing it? Every week, every week I preach, I pray, my gracious master, my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of your name. I'm praying that this would happen through you. As you take this message and you live it out and you sing the song of God into the world, what keeps you from singing a song? There are people waiting for you to sing. The joyful song of redemption. What keeps you from singing? Do you know? Your greatest pain will be your greatest blessing for the glory of God. Did you know that your story is not your own? It's for God. It's his story. And he's writing it in your life. And through it, many people will see and fear and put their hope in the Lord Jesus. Let's sing our song, guys. Let's not sing someone else's song. Let's not hide our song. Let's sing it out. Let's pray. Let's respond to the word of God for a minute or two right now. Lord, help me to sing. People, my neighbors need to hear. My classmates need to hear. My coworkers need to hear. My family members need to hear. Not just me saying, go to church, go to church. They need to hear a story of how I was blind, but now I see. A person with an argument is always at the mercy of a person with an experience. Let's sing that song. Let's pray together for a couple moments. Let's pray. Let's commit our hearts. Maybe one person this week, Lord, open up doors. One person each day with whom I can share my song. Lord, open the door. In a, in a pragmatic world, right? testimonies are powerful because they show 
that the truth is always practical. Let's pray for a couple moments and then we'll uh, continue to worship and seek the Lord as we come to this table of grace. as we prepare to come to God's table of grace for those who have professed their faith in Christ publicly through baptism. To prepare to come to this table. Let's repent of any sins that we have not yet surrendered to the Lord. For those, even if you're not coming to the table of grace, monthly heart check to lay down our idols, to lay down our burdens, to lay down the things that keep us from Jesus. Let's pray for a minute or so as we surrender these things to the Lord Jesus, turning away from the world to follow Jesus. Let's pray like let's pray that for a couple moments. Father in heaven, we thank you. Thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. For this blind man, it was nothing that he could pay or do to earn the miracle of grace in his life. We thank you so much that Jesus, in your grace, you are the one that opens blinded eyes, that gives life to those who are dead and hope to those who are despairing. Thank you that as we come to prepare, as you prepare to come to this table of ceaseless, unending grace that will continue on even throughout eternity. We pray, Lord, that the one thing that unites all of us is we'll join hands together, sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Would you deepen that conviction within our hearts? And out of that conviction, would you give birth to a new song that rises up out of us for the glory of God in a world that is in need? Thank you so much. We love you. Because at the cross, you showed us how much you loved us first. In Jesus' name we pray.